This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have the one and only Miss Carrie Wallace. From Ohio, but also from Morgantown, West Virginia at one point. And we were there simultaneously, which is also extremely scary. There you go. (laughs) That we have in common. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It is. You know, I've got a theory. I think that if you talk to anybody in Florida for more than 30 seconds, you're going to find out that you can trace their roots to either Ohio or West Virginia. You know, it's funny. I'm actually spending some time in Hilton Head right now, and we walked the beach this morning, and I ran into three people wearing WVU uh, gear as I walked the beach. So I I believe that's true. Uh, We all migrate south, that's for sure. Yeah, it's – well, you know, they've got the group of people down here now they call halfbacks because they come down to retire, and then it gets too expensive, so they move halfway back, and they end up in, like, Hilton Head or Tennessee or the Carolinas somewhere. That's right. So we will be the Mountaineers representing today. There you go. That sounds good. That sounds good. Well, listen, why don't you give everybody a little bit of your background story and how you got to where you're at today? Take as much time as you want, and then we'll we'll dive in deep and talk about a lot of the things you're doing right now um, with regard to technology and innovation. And I know that you do things around agency valuation and other things too. I think that if we um, we dive into some of that stuff, it'll be pure gold, honestly, for a lot of the people that listen. Awesome. So my background is uh, not unlike a lot of people in the insurance industry. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, you know what I want to do? I want to work in the insurance industry. I um, I started my career in a technology startup in uh, Washington, D.C. So um, I have a finance background. I started with a really small organization that uh, really wanted to innovate and Uh, They built a hands-free, body-worn, voice-activated computer at the time when all of us had bag phones. So it seemed like the Jetsons at the time. 
And um, I was fortunate enough to be with this organization from birth until IPO. Um, and I really got the, um, the itch of how businesses work and how they become successful, what a startup looks like. And it's, it's what I'm passionate about. I love small business. I love helping small business owners win. Um, so I spent a lot of time there and really thought that all I wanted to do was take companies public. But, you know, I had this, you know, midlife, I don't know what it is. I had two, two girls basically, and I decided to stay home and, and raise them for a period of time. So took a little hiatus from that career. And when I went back into the workforce, I started with the Ohio Association. And the cool thing about that was it's 1,200 small business owners across the state of Ohio that are all entrepreneurs, all trying to make their businesses work. And that's what really what attracted me to working in um, an association and nonprofit. I want to see those people win all day long. Uh, so my first, you know, my first role there was the CFO. And um, we went through a mergers and acquisition of the big I and PIA in the state of Ohio, which was incredibly fun for me. That was part of what I had done in my former life. Um, so it, it fit. And then, um, you know, once we did that merger, it was like, okay, what are we going to be as an association? What is our value proposition at this point? We, we have, you know, we have all the agents in the state of Ohio, we're doing what we can, but it's evolving. Our, our industry is evolving and we need to evolve with it. So we had some really, really forward thinking agents on our board that believed that data was the gold that the association had. And if we could leverage that data to help our agents grow their businesses, that is a completely new and different thing that associations had not been doing before. So I got the cool role of being able to lead that effort. And um, many of our counterparts across the country felt the same way that that is the future. So Intel Agents was born. It's a it's a new company that was born out of the Ohio Association. We now have six additional states that are investors in it and five additional states that are subscribers. It represents 20,000 agencies at this point. Um, we have different levels of data on all of those deep data on about six to 8,000 agencies across the country. And it's really about how do we take this data turn it into actionable insights for independent agents. And the other piece of that is while we were building Intel agents, we mined our own data as an association. And one of the biggest areas of need was valuation and perpetuation planning. There's just no two ways around that. It's a huge thing happening in our industry. So at the same time, we also launched evaluation and perpetuation planning consulting service um, that now is in 14 states where agents, our average agent, can have access to knowing their value, getting perpetuation planning services that really was priced out of the market for our average agent. And we're, we felt that bringing that insight, again, empowers our agents to really grow their business based on the insights they get out of that valuation and also helps them transition. So that's what I've been doing for the past three years at, at uh, OIA. And, and now I'm full-time at Intel Agents uh, making that happen. That's cool. I have two thoughts. The first one is I absolutely am disappointed that I can't fold my car up and bring it into the office with me like the Jetsons. Because as soon as you said that, I'm thinking to myself, 
this was supposed to happen when I was this age. Um, <laughs> but the, the second one is that uh, data is such a huge topic right now. And, you know, I'm an agent and an agency owner, but my real passion is is marketing. Honestly, I like to market. I like to, to do branding stuff and all of that. And, you know, it's nice that we are in an industry where those skill sets help me succeed as an agency owner, but I, I've seen it's it's not just in the agency world. I mean, data is everywhere. And it to me, you know, I don't want to talk negatively about my peer group, but I think facts are facts. It seems like the agency world is always one of the last to adapt to any of this stuff and, and, and to, you know, change their mindset and their thought process. Whereas you know, looking at things from just a general marketing world perspective, some of this stuff has been around for a really long time. And I mean, it's crazy to see where it's morphing just in general industry, let alone in the agency world. I would agree with you. I think that the insurance industry as a whole is not an early adopter of some of these things, but I think it makes sense if you really think about it, right? I mean, you're an agency owner. You know that in our industry, the renewal rates for revenue are the highest in any industry known to man. So think about that. It is incredibly stable. It is, if you're running your agency the right way, it can be incredibly profitable. So what is the driver for change? You know, other industries that are adopting and making these investments, they're doing it to compete. They're doing it to get from 50% retention to 80% retention. You know, our agents are trying to get from 89% to 91%, you know, like it's, think about that. So disruption causes change, but our industry is incredibly recession proof. It's incredibly stable. It's why private equity has come and stayed in our industry for so long. So I think it takes innovative thought and it takes new new leaders and really this generational shift that's happening in our industry is what's going to drive the change because those people know what what worked 20 for the past 20 years isn't what's going to work for the next 20 years but our impact is is much more muted than other industries that's my take on it yeah i think part of it too is the fact you can make a really good living doing enough to get by you know what I mean? And I don't mean, again, I don't mean that to sound negative. There's plenty of people that are making a quarter million, $300,000 a year as agency principals that have three quarter million dollar revenue agencies. And what's the real incentive at that point? And I'm not, I'm not, you know, throwing shade at any of them. If you have your work-life balance in order and you're making that kind of money and you understand that you have an asset that is going to be worth something in the event that you either want to perpetuate that on to the next generation or, have an exit event where you sell to a third party, you know, that's a huge deal. In, in four years of running my agency, I've never taken a paycheck from it. Not one time. Wow. And, wow. It's, and it's interesting because I talked with Eric Garcia, who's a good friend of mine and is a financial planner. And he said that he sees that a ton. Well, the reason why it's pretty simple. I have a sugar mama at the house who has a good job and, and has good money. So we don't have to have a salary from the agency in order for us to make our bills or whatever else. But it's more importantly, you know, when I left and started, I went all in. So I have no 401k. I have no planned retirement. What I have is an asset that if I take and reinvest what I could pull out of it, knowing 
that I'm going to get a multiple for that investment that's going to far exceed anything I would ever get from a 401k or the stock market, then I'm willing to bet on myself. And that could be incredibly foolish, but I can tell you that you run your business differently when you're all in your business. There's no two ways around that. Honestly, David, you would you would be amazed by the number of agents that I meet and the difference between investing in your agency or taking the money now as a lifestyle agency, you can see in the performance of the agency. That's just a different mindset. You're, you're right. Agents can make an incredible living by getting by and, and they could they can take. Uh, they can pay themselves all kinds of things inside their agency, and that's called a lifestyle agency, right? And that value, that growth rate, that um, allocation of resources looks far different than an agency that's growing at double digits and in forging new paths. So it really just depends where you are in your in your career, what that looks and feels like. Our job is to highlight those opportunities. So when you are getting ready to exit, you maximize the value of your agency, either set up your perpetuation plan for success, or you get as much out of your agency as you possibly can, but be informed, have the time to do that. But it, I mean, you're hundred percent right. Meeting a new agency owner that's a startup that is growing and focused on the future and understands the value of their agency is different than someone who's at the end of their career. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting for me. I picked a number, right? I said, this is the number that will make me leave. And so then it becomes, that's the finish line. And, you know, just like anything else that you have with, with goals, when you get to that goal, you know, you have to have something to shoot for. And I don't make small goals. You know, there's a good chance I never exit my agency because my number's 10 million. When we hit 10 million in agency revenue, I'm out. I don't care, you know, what happens after that. I mean, I do obviously, because, you know, Kyle will be, you know, steering the ship at that point, but you know, that that's my number. And I've set it up in such a way that the people who are on the team that are with me for the long haul that are going to be part of the, the crew that builds this, they'll be rewarded from that too. So Kyle may not care to take the steering wheel. He may just decide he wants to cash out and go on down to the islands with me or whatever. But, um, you know, I just, not a, I think, not a bad alternative, by the way. No, it's not. It, but, but I mean, I, I just wonder sometimes because it seems like so many people don't have a plan. Like we're in the business of being risk management professionals and protecting people. And yet many times, and and I say this from a position of experience in talking to a bunch of agency owners across the country and having them write a business plan. When they get into our commercial training program, that's the first thing that I have them do. And some of them kick and scream but it doesn't matter if it's an agency principal or a producer, I have to see where you're at, where you want to be and how you connect those dots. Otherwise I can't help you in the most effective manner possible. But more importantly, there's a little bit of secret sauce behind that too. Like there's always a question behind the question with me. There's always something else that you don't understand. And that is that a lot of these groups that come into our program, for example, are are 80% personal lines, 20% commercial. And of the 20% commercial, it's all $5,000 and less in premium. So guess what they need? They need carriers and carriers like business plans. So here I am, you know, big bad David beating you down to produce a business plan. And I'm only doing it to help you. And, And that has been a direct 
a correlation to the people who have been able to get contracts they otherwise might not have. But I mean, Kyle will will attest to this. Our producers do business plans every year. They have to, you know, right. do it, do do a deep dive one time, and once you do that, the rest of it's just altering it to show the progress that you've made. But I, I look at my peer group and I look at the people that I talk to on a regular basis. And, and part of me is scared for some of these people. Like what would happen tomorrow? You know, if, the, if, if something went down, what happens to your agency tomorrow? Do you even know what it's worth? Do you know what you need to do to improve the value of that? You know, and you probably see it way more than I do. Well, it's like you said, I mean, we, we manage risk for our clients, right? So we have to put in a plan for them. Why would we not put in a plan for ourselves? And it, it, it is just interesting to me in in the way that at least we relate with our clients in terms of the new technological advances and providing things like a, a mod analysis and some of the different trainings and programs we're able to put in place for agencies that don't do that. You've alluded to it a number of times. I mean, do you think that they're just going to disappear? And I, I kind of have to agree. I mean, if you don't make those changes, so I'm, I'm curious if there's something, Carrie, that you guys, in terms of your data, have collected that is just like a, you know, you know a, a a huge statistic um, that could maybe sway the minds of some of these agency owners that are stuck in the, you know, previous century. I, uh, you know. So the first thing I want to say is, David, I see exactly what you're describing. Number one, um, of all the agencies that we've valued. Two have had a perpetuation plan. Two, that is that is terrible. That's crazy. And you know, big, big, hairy, audacious, audacious goal is we want to make it so easy and accessible that they all have a plan. The number one risk inside an agency is a single owner at or near retirement with no plan. They will they will sell at a discount. Every single time, if there's a a life event, if something happens to that agency owner with no plan, it is an immediate transition that has to occur. And it, it is, it's by far the worst thing you can do with the asset that you've built your entire life. Here's one for you. Listen to this. I had a guy, and I know I've said it on a couple of podcasts that we've done recently, but I was talking to somebody, and I don't think it was the, directly the person, but they were telling me about an agent. It might even have been in conversation with you at one point when we were prepping for that deal for Illinois. But um, this guy basically just said, look, I can sell my agency for a two X multiple, or I'll just quit service in my accounts and let it run off over the next five years and I'll make more money now. Okay. Mathematically that might make sense, but what, what about pride? What about ego? Right. I mean, that's how you're going to go out. You're the guy that just quit and gave up because you know, you got paid a little bit more. I work way too hard to build right. what we have to just step away from it like that. Well, thankfully, that's not what we hear all the time. What we hear is this is my life and I don't know what I would do otherwise. So therefore, it's scary to make a plan for my transition out because personally, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's not a reason not to have a plan either. So we try to show, okay, at least understand where you are, where you can go and what the options are. And then think about how you want to stay involved, not as the agency owner, but maybe as a support to those that need mentorship. We talked to, we, when we did the Illinois thing, one of the biggest things is new agency owners coming in. 
agency owners here, how do we transfer the knowledge that is valuable from the current agency owners to the to the new agency owners and make that seamless and make sure that there's not this attrition inside an agency that could occur when that transition happens. So part of it is really walking someone through what a plan means, what that could mean for your next five to 10 years, and really how you have the power to do something in your agency rather than um, float. And, you know, Kyle, you asked me, you know, what do we see? I think so many agency owners or small business owners, they're just trying to service their clients. They're really not picking their heads up and thinking about what's the overall plan. So between data and valuation, we're trying to help agency owners pick their heads up, take a, take a step back and actually think about what is your plan? What should you be measuring? What should you set as a goal? And how do you actually get the data to inform that goal? Um, you know, data is only good if it can be put in action. So if you start measuring all kinds of things and you're not going to do anything with it, what's the point? It really, it's about what are you, let's decide what you're trying to do. But if you don't have direction in the plan, then, you know, data is not for you. That That's not going to work in your agency. So it's really starting at the beginning of what's the question you're trying to answer? What plan are we trying to put in place in order to then inform that? So what's the number one thing that you would recommend to any agency right now? I mean, so listen, number one, you're seeing people who are searching for answers, right? They're looking for data to help them with valuation and perpetuation plans. So hats off to everybody that you're dealing with, no matter how good, bad, or ugly that situation is when they come to you. The fact is they recognize they needed to come to you, right? So, right. you know, that's that's a big, uh, big thing for me. But as you look at these agencies, do you see anything that's common amongst them uh, that that could be low hanging fruit that they should say, you know what? I listened to this podcast. This lady was insanely intelligent, and she told me I needed to do this. So this is something I should implement immediately in my agency right now. So I would say at any stage of your agency, know your value. Like you got to get a benchmark. And the thing is, change your mindset about what that means. Many many agency owners think I only need to know my value when I want to sell my agency or I want to perpetuate. That is false. What your value tells you is all the factors impacting it. It tells you the risk factors inside your agency. It tells you what your resource allocation is and how it compares to what industry standards are and gives you a really a good view. Am I allocating my resources inside my agency to actually set myself up for success? So I'd say number one, make the investment in your business to know your value and actually make a plan based on where you are today. Get your baseline. And number two, have goals, like write down your goals. And from that measure, what's going to get you to your goals. If you do those two things, you're now a 90% head of the game compared to the other agency owners that are out there without a plan. You can't get anywhere. So I would say those two things, and then you build from there. Then you figure out what data is going to drive you. Um, you know, the last thing, though, I would tell you is understand your book. Um, not all revenue is generated. Not all revenue is equal. Um, there is risk inside your book. If 2020 has taught us anything, know your book, know where your risks are, know where your opportunity is and make a plan. So those are that's my advice. Yeah, that's one of the things that we talk about, too. I, I always explain to people that are moving into middle market 
commercial that they really need to figure out who their ideal prospect is, but they don't need just one. They should have three to five ideal prospects that are across several different segments of the economy in terms of the type of businesses that they are so that they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that will tell you the riches are in the niches and that's fine, but you need to have more than one. Multiple niches. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, look at a guy like Bob Klinger. My goodness, this guy is, is just niche. Niche Yeah. On steroids, man. I mean, he's got probably 15 different niches all born out of one, but you know, I I think that that's another place where I I think there's two ends of the spectrum, right? You have the super hyper-focused, I'm only going to do this and nothing but. Then you have the, hey, I'll write a, you know, one-man hog wrestling, you know, company versus, and then also a startup trucking firm. And, you know, they want to be all things to all people. And you don't, in in my mind, you never get that anywhere that way, right? And, And people ask us all the time. Why do you write accounts or how are you able to write accounts that are a quarter million to a half million dollars in premium? It's really simple. We only prospect accounts that are a quarter million to a half million in premium. If it's not a quarter to a half million, it doesn't make the cut. It goes to small business or, you know, as as the younger producers are coming up, we'll let them write down to $5,000 in agency revenue. But, you know, at the end of the day, why? You know, why do we want to mess with that for us? I tell people, tell the story all the time, auto owners, awesome insurance company, forced us to go downstream a little bit. Took me two and a half years to argue a a good enough argument to get the appointment, Um, you know, and it's worth every second of the fact that we have it now. But when they came in, they said, listen, big boy, we want 25 to 50,000 in premium. That's really where we like to play. And can you deliver on that? And I said, absolutely, we will deliver on it. And then I looked at Kyle and Raphael and them and said, now what are we going to do? We got to go back and change our pipeline a little bit. But at the end of the day, what it did was it forced my revenue per policy down. And I needed that. You know, it sounds sexy to say you write these big accounts, but guess what? You lose one, God forbid, it hurts. And it hurts bad. Yeah, it's super scary in an agency that has, you know, in your top 10 accounts, if any of those move out, I can tell you from a valuation standpoint, we would say that is very tricky. And then if they're all managed by you, and something happens to you, what happens to that agency's value? So there's balance that is really required. But you said something really important. You defined who you were and you stayed true to that. So then every decision is based on that. The, the partners you choose, the carriers you choose, the prospecting, the marketing that you do is now all focused and aligned. If you don't know who you are and you're trying to be all things to all people, it's incredibly difficult to get focused on what carriers should I have in my mix? What what you know marketing should I do? What should my brand look like? What what expertise should I be investing in inside my agency? Like all those things flow from what are we trying to do? And if you don't know that, you could waste a lot of money, time and energy. You know, I think our agency I think an average agency is trying to navigate today three things. I want to market. I'm not really sure where I should market, how I should do that. There's a ton out. There's noise out there of all these solutions. Same thing with technology. I think I should be moving into technology. That's what I hear. But there's all this insure tech and I don't know what to do. And the last one is everybody says data, but I don't really know how that impacts my agency. And it all starts from 
What are you trying to do inside your agency? And then from there, choose the resources, tools, and things. But if you just start adopting things, you're going to waste money, time, and energy. So the fact of the matter is you guys defined who you were and decided who you want to align with, what resources you want to put towards it. That's the key. And that's what we're trying to do is identify what it is you're trying to do and help you guide you so you can make informed business decisions rather than your gut decisions. Yeah, COVID has been an interesting time. I've actually said it multiple times. It's natural selection at its finest to me. And I've I've categorized, you know, three different types of people that have become evident inside of COVID. Um, you know, you have the adopters, which I think are the early adopters, the people that are out in front of the curve. I, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this to be braggadocious or anything, but our agency is really quick to adopt technology. Yeah. Sometimes that costs me money that I shouldn't have spent, but I don't miss opportunity. And that's the way that I've always been. I will make a, a decision quickly, implement something. If it doesn't work, I'll cut bait and move on to the next thing, but I'm never going to miss out. So, you know, when people started doing video proposals and Zoom meetings and all of that, we didn't have an issue. We've been doing it for years. You know, we've been doing quote vids for a long, long time. The second group is the adapters. And those are the people that are like, okay, now I have to react because this has happened. And I really probably should have looked at this more. And those are the people that went to Amazon looking for webcams only to find out that they were sold out. Right. And then the other group is the do nothings. They're the ones that are just going to basically sit back and say, you know what, here I am. Um, I can't control this situation. I'm just going to do whatever I can with whatever I've got and hope for the best. And that's a dangerous slope to be on. But, you know, what have you seen with regard to the pandemic that we're dealing with now? Uh, you know, I know that that's one of the things we talked about offline. I'm just interested in your thoughts in general. So I've seen exactly what you're saying, but um Here's the thing. I think everybody was incredibly uncertain what it was going to mean. It hit deep into our economy and it's widespread. And it, it hit at a time, though, that balance sheets were really strong. So some strong organizations can weather the storm. Again, independent agents are very recession proof. So we are like phase two, phase three impact inside an agency. And it really it really depends what the complexion of your agency is, what the impact will be. You know what I mean? Like if you're a personal lines agency that writes uh, most, you're nearing retirement. So that means your book kind of looks like you. You're probably going to have very little impact inside your agency because those people aren't losing their jobs. They're not, they're, they're at a point in their life where they're pretty stable. It's probably the worst thing that we would tell an agency owner to have that kind of book, but it was the most stable for a period of time to be that kind of, um, have that kind of complexion. Uh, what happened was everything stopped. M&A kind of stalled in the beginning because everybody was uncertain what was going to happen. Now M&A and multiples are higher than they've ever been. Um, I think we've all figured out that those that were already um, set up to operate in an efficient way and have remote work, it's like it's almost like this divide. It was already there, but it just got wider. Now those are much more valuable agencies. They have the ability to reach their clients. They have the ability to know what the risk is inside their agencies. Those that did not, uh, those that have a lot of foot traffic and they really don't have email addresses of their agents or of their clients, they don't really know those 
those are stagnant. And so I've had some agents tell me this is the best year ever. We mind our agency and we are literally killing it. And this 2020 will be our best year. And some that they're incredibly struggling and, you know, it was really hard for them to transition. So I, I would agree. I, I feel like it's almost like the, it, it caused the disruption that our, that our industry has not had. This was a disruptor for those that were not prepared for it. Yeah. And I mean, it did. I think it caught everybody off guard. And thankfully, you know, for us, again, because we are relatively forward thinking in how we handle technology and interacting with our clients remotely already, it was a very easy flip of a switch. Right. Um, you know, had that had that not happened, I don't know where we would be, to be honest with you. You know, so it's tough to put myself in that position, but I think that there are a lot of agencies out there now that understand things like why a CRM is important, right? So to me, I've been very vocal about the fact I think many agencies are run wrong. I think that they should not run their business like an insurance agency because you're only an insurance agency when you have sold a policy and have to do administrative insurance work. Until a deal is closed, you're a sales organization, period. Don't care what your product is. Don't care what problem you're trying to solve. You're a sales organization. And if you're a sales organization, you do not run off of an AMS. You run off of a CRM. I say it sarcastically all the time. I would challenge anybody to go to the Fortune 500 and look for the best, the highest performing sales teams and then report back to me with which agency management system they're using to run their sales force. They're not. They're using the 800-pound gorilla, Salesforce, Infusionsoft, HubSpot. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is exactly what you do for a living, data, right? I mean, Absolutely. We, we use HubSpot religiously. I was, and I don't talk about it a lot, uh, but we bought it before we really needed it. I, I made a bad decision. I was forced into it. It was something that I wanted. I knew I wanted it. We planned to get it, but we had a deal that was pending that was going to be a huge amount of referral traffic into the agency and we had to have it then for that deal to work. And then the guy got amnesia and the deal went south and here I am stuck with HubSpot. So then it's like, what do I do? Just let this thing sit here and make the monthly payment or do I double down on it? Well, I actually like tripled down on it, hired a developer to be, work with us full time. And so we built it out to have the automations and the, all of the workflows and everything that we need in there. But from a data perspective, the amount of data that we can get just when we have an IP address attached to a contact record and we can literally monitor people's behavior as they're going wherever on our websites, on our social, interacting with email, you know, that sounds great. And it's, it's, it's not really big brother stuff. It's actually smart marketing. That's what everybody else does, but we can, we can score leads as a result. So for every behavior that somebody has, we can attach a point value to it. And know that I can go to Kyle and say, Kyle, you should not be talking to anybody in your prospect pipeline that has a lead score below 80. Because we know that if your lead score is 80 or above, you're basically sitting next to the phone waiting on us to call you. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's where it comes into being a five-tool player. Because we can integrate our, our in-person cold call marketing drops with automated processes that will allow us to measure a return on the investment of our time and energy to do those drops based on how those people interact with the follow-ups that go on. But, you know, 
we are able to canvas such a large amount of the overall just suspect prospect portion of our business using technology, you know, we've spent probably $150,000 to $175,000 on HubSpot in 18 months. But I've also been able to get it to a point where it does the work of three or four people. Yeah, it's kind of the, you know, adage of working smarter, not harder. I mean, it just makes sense. Yeah. And for us, it's not about, it's not, it's not about replacing the client relationship. It's about enhancing that client relationship. If we have a call pop, you know, and, I mean, if you really want your mind blown, and I'm sure you've seen me on, go listen to Seth oh, yeah. for a little while, you know, good God. Yeah, I, I thought I was a relatively intelligent person. And then I sat down, I don't know if he's like a mad scientist or, or deviant or what his story is, but I mean, the level of data and detail that they have the ability to get inside of Neon is you know, honestly, it's a little bit intimidating to a certain degree, but. So um, remember that board that I told you about that said that data was the gold that uh, we should be focused on. Guess who was sitting on that board? I'm sure Seth was. Yeah. He's been, he's a, I think he might be my oldest friend in this industry. Him and uh, I'm sure you know Matt Simon as well. So they're, they both sat on that board. They're both very visionary about what data can mean inside your agency. When you were talking about HubSpot, you know the difference between using a tool like HubSpot versus thinking that your AMS is going to do the work for you. The difference is all the information that HubSpot's um, helping you focus and helping you figure out where to follow up, what to do, what the next action is, it's all unstructured data or not captured at all inside an AMS. It's it's lost in the notes and PDFs and whatever, whereas HubSpot or Salesforce or Neon all puts that in a place that's measurable, it's consumable, and it's now able to be uh, turned into action inside your agency where you're right. It, it has nothing to do with replacing your people. It's about empowering your people to know where to focus and what to do. And we call it optimizing, you know, you call it enhancing, whatever it is. I think we have to change our mindset. This isn't about, I now only need three employees. No, you need to have your three employees maximizing what they can do inside your agency. And you're now your nine employees, now that they have so much work and so much business that they're able to figure out. But unstructured data is useless. Like you can't do anything with it. So finding a way to get your data captured in a way where you can have action is incredibly important. But you got to start with what you're trying to do in your agency. If you don't start there, now you're measuring everything and you don't know what you need it for, right? Yeah, and it's it's good for me too. So if you're an agency principal that's listening, I mean, you know, all of our service, all of our marketing, all of our sales run through, you know, HubSpot. So when a quote request comes in, a producer's assigned a task to follow up, but a ticket is also created for the service person to immediately start the quoting process that they need to to get the information from the producer and all of that. For me, I can log in and I can look at my service dashboard at any given time and say, oh, hmm, there's a bottleneck for this person here. It's not as slick as what Neon is. I mean, Neon makes it very, very easy. The user interface is insane. Right. But I get the same general level of information or same general information rather and can make easy business decisions. If I see a producer who seems to be stuck from they get a a prospect, but they can't get that prospect to book the meeting for them to present their findings, or 
they have a suspect that's on the hook and they can't get that person to agree to a prospect meeting or whatever else, you can identify trends and then you can know this is where I need to coach this person. It's not, oh, this guy's a horrible salesperson or this lady can't produce anything. It's let's go figure out. We can triangulate where the problem is. We can attack that problem, get them over that hump and and then move to the next level. But I think Again, people are going to hear this, and what they're going to take out of everything they just heard is that David spent between one hundred and fifty and one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars out of HubSpot. What they're not hearing is how much revenue that my agency has generated as a result of that tool, right? And they haven't heard how much expense it really just shifted from one portion of the ledger to the other because that would have been salaries for people that honestly would have done a much less efficient job than what what the CRM is for. And what it does is it allows you to take everything that's not client facing and automate it and have it in a way that there's accountability in place in your organization to where you can focus on those client facing tasks. You can focus on sales. You can focus on delivering the client experience. We had uh, Caitlin on yesterday and she was talking a lot about what they're doing over at Quantum and how, you know, all of that stuff is basically a platform for their member agencies to come on and use as much of it or as little of it as they want. But ultimately they could really just do nothing except focus on driving their business, driving client experience. And that makes what we do very easy. If you don't have to worry about all of the other stuff. Yeah. So I think the, you know, you're right. Some, someone who's listening is going to hear that number and say, Oh, I'm out. That's not something I can ever do. What I hope they hear is, if I create a plan, define who I am as an agency owner, now I know how to integrate these things and where to start. And there's a roadmap. You know, I think at Intel Agents, we want to help build that roadmap. For any agency owner that wants to be data-driven, we want to meet you where you are on that, on that journey and be your data analytics company. Like be the, we know that the average agency owner is not going to be able to hire a data scientist to work inside their agency. That's just not realistic. But we want to serve the industry by, by providing those kinds of insights to help drive smart business decisions inside agencies where they can really take a step back, look at what they're doing, figure out the opportunities, the risk, and really be informed business owners rather than great um, great people that have great relationships that no coverage. I want to make them great business owners and make them incredibly informed with the data that's right there inside their agency. Like that's the thing. There's there's uh, an abundance of age of data that's there that you can just uh, leverage. Yeah, you know, I think if I were to look back at one thing from my retail days that really conditioned me to and and how I think and and where I think that there's a disconnect with regard to a lot of agency principles. Like I said, people are going to hear 150 to 175,000 bucks in an investment, right? I don't pay attention to dollars at all. Dollars mean nothing to me. I look at the percentage relative to the revenue of my agency. I have always run a business based off of what the income statement says. And if I'm in a toler if I'm in the tolerance level of what I should have for my technology budget, I don't care what those dollars are because it makes sense that if David has an agency that's got three and a half million, 150,000 might not be that big of a deal, right? But 
if I'm in an agency that's 500,000, that's going to be a lot of money. You can't look at it that way. Number one, any of these technology products scale to the size of the company that's buying them. So you have to understand the baseline of where this money's coming from. The other thing you have to look at is I view my investment in HubSpot just like I I would view a sinking fund for anything else that I'm doing. It is not an expense, people. It is an investment. You have to learn to treat technology like it is a team member of your organization. And until you can do that and embrace it, you're you're going to continue to look at it as an expense. And we hate expenses. We want to cut expenses. That becomes something that's going to leave your agency and ultimately put your competitor ahead of you. I hear people all the time gripe and moan about how their client left them. I had this client, they grew to $200,000 in premium over the 10 years that I had them and they just left me and they paid $10,000 more to go to another agency. Let me fill you in on a little clue. That is not a coverage issue. That is not a you're a nice guy or not a nice guy issue. That is somebody had a better mousetrap and delivered value when they went in and pitched to your client and they ultimately took it away. This is what I talked about in my book. I, I clearly can tell you, if you take the extra time to do the job the right way, period, it's never a huge amount of time. We were talking about this with uh, re- uh, relation to people doing experience modification analysis. You know, Magic has a great product. We use it in our agency. We actually upgraded from our prior provider and decided we were going to go with Magic moving forward because we like their product, the processes, and most importantly, the people Scott Knowles, the CEO, is a fantastic dude, and we're going to have him on. We're actually recording with him tomorrow. But I I was explaining to somebody yesterday when they were looking at an experience mod, everybody loves the fact that these companies now have technology where you can scan the mod worksheet in, and it's going to, you know, it's like an OCR or whatever. It's just going to read the data, and it's going to populate and put it into the software. Here's the problem with that. The whole point of doing a mod Uh, analysis is A, to validate that the mod is even right. So if you're scanning it in, just using the data that's already on there, what have you done to validate the correctness of the mod? Absolutely nothing. All you're doing is taking data that may be inaccurate, scanning it into the computer, and then building a bunch of reports that you're going to hang your hat on to go to the point of sale and try and close a deal off of it. I will beat you every single time. I don't care who you are because I do it the right way. We don't scan it in. We enter it manually. We do it from the loss runs that are currently valued. We do it from the audited payrolls, and we don't key in group losses. We put them in there individually. Why? Well, I don't know. If you've got 10 group losses and six of them are somebody with a laceration to their right hand, probably can identify that's an issue that you can solve before somebody loses their right hand. But if you leave it the way that MCCI has it set up, and simply scan it in, you've lost a major opportunity to drive a wedge at the point of sale, but more importantly, drive change in the organization to prevent something really nasty from happening. I'm done for a little bit. I'm going to be out of breath. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about wins. What's What's been, without naming names, what's been like a really rewarding win for you? For me personally, I, had a, uh, I have to tell you, um, meeting an agency owner, that thinks that they cannot transition their agency to the next agency owner inside their agency and being able to show them how they can has been probably one of the best things that we've been able to do. Because here's the thing, uh, private equity is here 
and it's noise. It's uh, it's not all it's not one size fits all. That does not apply to every agency, but that's what hits the news. So therefore, there's all kinds of these expectations that I'm never going to be able to do that or I'm never going to. The thing is, so many agency owners just want their agency to stay in the family, stay in the community, set up the next generation for success. And we've been able to do that and do that incredibly well um, and do it at a reasonable price that the average agency knows that they can gain access to it. I would say 84% of the agency owners that we've done valuations for, they did it to support internal perpetuation or business planning. That's a huge win. Like having agency owners engage with us to get informed rather than we find out about it when they sell their agencies and buy a tail policy for us on their E&O. Like I hate that. And that's, that's a win. So I think changing the mindset about why knowing your value makes sense, why understanding data makes sense, and, and seeing agency owners engage in a way um, that empowers them. That's a huge, huge win. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a it's an evolution in our industry. Not every agency owner thinks like you, David. And, I, you know, our goal is to, again, reach them where they are and get them on the path where they can see that it really makes a huge difference inside their agency. The, the last thing I'd tell you is I just did a presentation where we showed year over year how an agency owner actually increased their value by making changes inside their agency that we were able to identify uh, resource allocation. Um, we were able to identify how they can reduce the risk inside their agency by having a perpetuation plan or by bringing on a different carrier or maybe letting go of some carriers that was really uh, clouding what their overall picture looks like. So identifying those things, um, seeing an agency owner actually take the action and see the outcome that their value went up year over year, that's super rewarding because, you know, again, they data actually did something for them. And that's that's where for us, it makes a huge difference. Nice. I think one of the things that we as agency principals need to embrace and, and I've said this a lot lately because it's been on my mind because I think it's a chronic problem in our industry, but we need to learn to let go of control and embrace collaboration. Because listen, I don't think like Kyle does. Kyle's young enough difference in age for me that we basically are completely different generations. I mean, we're like 16, 17 years apart, right? So I need to understand what his, what his thought process is. I've got four kids at home, you know, that are, my oldest is is 18 this week, he thinks completely differently. And for me, you know, I don't like to suppress ideas. I want to hear what everybody has to say. That's not because it's cool for me to say that. That's honestly what I believe. I had a really good learning experience when we had our marketing intern last summer from Florida State. She came in and absolutely crushed it. And I never had to micromanage her. I never had to, to follow up with her. She did things differently than I would have and went a different way, but I gave her the flexibility to get the job done the way that she would. And I watched how she worked so I could build my expectations for future people in that demographic when they came on board. So I had an idea of what to expect. And unfortunately, 
we had some people that were in that demographic that weren't quite as motivated and they're not with us anymore. So, you know, that, that also led me to believe, okay, these people aren't all lazy. You know, you just, you have to pick and choose your battles. Right. But I think agency owners by and large, the, the more, I'm not saying that you need to let your staff look at your tax return. Okay. I wouldn't care if mine did. I don't have any secrets from anybody, but you know, I, I do think that we need to include our team on decisions, especially technology decisions or other things that are a going to impact their day-to-day life right now. But B, this is a decision that could have an impact for us 10, 15 years down the road. I may be out of the picture. Why do I need to be the one making that decision today? And I think that the more we table discussions and include everybody on the team and sincerely listen and contemplate their solutions to the problems and adopt those where it makes sense, everybody's going to be better off. But I think that so many of us, and and I hear it, I, I hear it with the equity piece too, right? Oh, I'm not giving my producers any equity. I built this agency on my back. Really, Sparky? Who went out and brought the revenue in? I mean, let's see the size of your book compared to the size of all of your producers combined. How did you build this agency on your back when you're only 20% of the agency's revenue? You know, stop. Empower people. Give them a carrot. Give them something to work toward. Let them think like a business owner because they know they have the opportunity to be a business owner in your agency, and then watch what happens. Watch what happens to your growth. You're not going to be at $437,000 in revenue. You're going to be at $4 million because you've empowered people and you've given them the ability to do what they do best, and you've given them the opportunity to reap a reward. And if you're looking at it that way, ultimately your asset is going to be worth more even if you get a smaller percentage of the overall buy. I would say the worst thing you can do is keep data a secret. If you're making investments in your agency as an agency owner and you're investing in technology and marketing and in data and you're only keeping it for your eyes only, it will fail. Like you, your, your people are your biggest asset. And when they have buy-in and they understand what they're doing and how it impacts their job, how it impacts their ability to serve your clients and how it impacts your overall agency, that's gold. Now you've motivated them and empowered them to understand their role in the whole process, keeping it a secret, not putting it on the wall, not talking about it, not actually getting their input to say, we're going to change how you're doing your business. You're now going to use a CRM and an AMS. Okay. So what does that do to my life? That, that could be viewed as you just you just burdened me as your employee to do 10 times more work. If you don't give the context, you're not right. going to get the buy-in. Like, I totally agree with you. Oh, my goodness. It's probably the worst thing you can do as an agency owner is to keep that secret. Yeah, it's funny because with HubSpot, we it doesn't integrate, right? So we have Hawksoft as our AMS. It is what it is. That's the that's the problem everybody's trying to cure and solve. From what I understand, the new Salesforce integration with Applied Epic is pretty solid. Um, the agencies that I've talked to that have been through that migration absolutely love it. But we're still at a point where we have double entry if we have to have it. So we've basically taken the position that everything is handled inside of HubSpot unless we have to get it in to send to a wholesale broker with Accord Forms, which is very rare for us. But we don't enter anything until the download hits. 
Because what we found is if we take the time to do the double entry now, half the time when that download hits, it jacks up the data anyhow or wipes things out. So it's easier to run the business through HubSpot when the policy is bound and everything hits, boom, we'll go ahead and we'll we'll let the download go in, then we'll clean it up and make sure that everything is is where it needs to be. And then from that point on, you know, if we need to man if there's something we need to manage, then it happens inside of Hawksoft. We're not doing any real client servicing outside of the fact tickets are generated, which generates alerts inside HubSpot. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to more and more systems having open API to where they're going to be able to integrate with each other. And, you know, we're at that point. We're at that point right now with what Neon's doing, with what, um, you know, uh, Salesforce and Applied are doing, which you know, really is tech canary when that's the whole reason they made that acquisition, right? And yeah. brought tech and platform in. Um, once a couple of them hit, I got to believe this is a tipping point. I've got to believe this becomes the focus of everybody. And hats off to Seth and everybody that are doing what they need to do right now because they're, there's no doubt in my mind that they're changing the way that the game is played. I mean, it's, it is, it's crazy. Yeah, talk about disruption. I mean, a you know, applied and Vertifor didn't need to change. Well, if this this could be what causes those behemoths to move and make it way easier for agencies and carriers to communicate in a seamless way and actually support the independent agent system the way that it should be, rather than making putting us at a disadvantage that our technology doesn't work in the way that it needs to. But yeah, I, I would I would 100% agree with you. They they saw a need and they're trying to solve it, and it's you know they are out there on the tip of the spear without question. So um, hats off to them. Well, we are coming up on an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time, but I also want to give you the opportunity to make a shameless plug to anybody who doesn't know who you are or it, you know that could use your services. I want you to tell them how to how to get in touch with you because I'm sure you're going to generate some interest they don't want to call me because i'll just we should have out. like we should have like shameless plug music that just kind of <laughs> just kind of cues up like like right at the end like that i think that'd be awesome that's so funny well uh again i work for intel agents we're all about making agents smarter and be able to make better informed decisions through the use of data i believe that data i believe that agents have a lot to learn from each other and uh we want to make data as simple and, rel and, and relatable inside your agency so it turns to action. We're not about just being big data for the sake of big data. So if you're interested in figuring out how that works inside your agency, you should talk to us because that is where we're focused. Um, you know, we're only led by, um, by independent agents. So it's not about making the carriers better. It's about making independent agents better. So you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me anywhere. But I, I really appreciate you both having me on today. It's been a great conversation. I love talking with people that are as passionate about this as I am. So um, thanks so much. I don't really get passionate very often, nor animated when I'm trying to make a point. So yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. You're right. No. I, I, I don't <laughs> see that in you at all. Absolutely not. I don't know. I don't know if we're even going to be able to air this. I've never, yeah, I've never slapped the palm of my hand on a conference room table before either. <laughs> Funny. Well, listen. Thank you so much again for coming on. Look forward to having this air. I know that people are going to benefit greatly from it, and just so thankful that we've gotten to know each other here in relatively short order. So, yeah. looking forward to seeing you in person one day real soon. I would love that. All right. I look forward to it.
Enjoy Thanks, Karen. We'll talk soon. Great spending time with both of you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.